you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 24 and chapter 25 and chapter 26. Three chapters that cover the same period of time, about two years in Paul's life, as he was making his defense in the city of Caesarea, up on Israel's coast, on the Mediterranean Sea. We've been learning over the last few chapters that Paul is on his way to Rome, ultimately, but he's going to pass through Jerusalem. Last week, Pastor Phil reminded us that as he went up to Jerusalem, there, there caused his presence there caused quite a stir. It got so out of hand that Claudius Lysias, the commander, realized Paul's going to be torn apart. He pulls him aside, and he realizes he's never going to get a fair trial in Jerusalem. So he's going to send him to Caesarea up on the coast where he can stand trial before the Roman provincial governor, Felix. At the end of chapter 23, we have the details that bring this together. Verse 31. So the soldiers carrying out their orders took Paul with them during the night and brought them as far as Antipatris. The next day, they let the cavalry go on with him while they returned to the barracks. When the cavalry arrived in Caesarea, they delivered the letter to the governor and handed Paul over to him. The governor read the letter and asked what province he was from. Learning that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. And in that setting, Paul would go on to give powerful testimony over the next two years to everyone whom God brought to him. You and I are called to do the same. Father, I want to thank you for Paul's example who never flinched, no matter who he faced. You kept bringing before him different people whom he would testify to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He would share them the gospel, the good news that's still saving people who believe. I pray, God, in our own day, we may be as faithful as we learn today that we are sent to speak to whomever you send. And we'll thank you in your precious name. Amen. You know, we never know where or to whom God will send us to speak his truth. Last week, Pastor Phil reminded us that we are sent to speak wherever God sends. And we never have to be afraid to do that because we're never alone. Jesus is always with us. At the end of chapter 23, Luke tells us that Paul is now sent from Jerusalem to Caesarea, where he's now going to speak to everyone whom God sends to him tells us in Acts 23, verse 34, the governor reads the letter from Claudius Lysias, asks what province he was from, learning that he was from Cilicia. He said, I will hear your case when your accusers get here. Then he ordered that Paul be kept under guard in Herod's palace. Herod had a beautiful spot right there on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea. I've stood in the ruins of Herod's palace. It's quite a place. There are, the foundation is still there, many of the floors, and a few of the columns still left from his palace. In fact, if you go out from the palace, away from the shore, heading in towards the city, right to your left as you come out of the palace is the Hippodrome, a beautiful stadium that's still there. And then if you keep going straight, you come into the ancient neighborhoods where Peter went to meet Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. To the right when you come out of the palace is a beautifully preserved amphitheater, which was a cultural center of the city of Caesarea. Herod had his palace there. I was standing one beautiful April morning in this room in Herod's palace. The walls were gone, a few columns were left, 
but you could clearly see the shape of the room. And there was a platform right in front of me that was raised. And I was standing admiring this beautiful blue mosaic tile floor when the tour guide, a Jewish lady who was also a Christian, came up behind me and said, Larry, do you know where you're standing? And I said, well, I know I'm in Herod's palace, but I have no idea what room I'm in. She said, you're in Herod's audience chamber. This is where Paul made his defense before Felix and Festus and Agrippa in Acts 24, 25, and 26. That little raised platform you see right there in front of you, that's where those men sat with all of their entourage. And, she said, that tile floor you're admiring, that's original. In fact, she said, you are standing in the same spot on the very same tile that Paul was standing on when he made his defense and preached the gospel. It was an amazing moment to stand in that place, to see the raised platform where those officials would have sat, and to realize I'm standing on the same tile Paul stood on when he made his confession of faith. And I realized in that moment, just as Paul was faithful to speak to those people the gospel to whom God brought, now it was my turn. That now it was my responsibility to proclaim that same gospel to whoever God would send to me. It was an amazing moment. And I was reminded of Luke's stories here in these chapters that we are sent to speak the gospel to whomever God sends. And why is that so? Because the gospel is the truth that confronts people with their sin. The gospel is the truth that confronts people with their ignorance. And the gospel is the truth that confronts people with their complacency, particularly their trust in religion. We are sent to preach the gospel because it's the truth that confronts people with their sin. And that's very important because unless people are confronted with sin, they'll never see their need for a savior. Here's how Luke recorded what Paul said to Felix in Acts 24, verse 24. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. The gospel confronted Felix with his sin. Luke tells us that Paul who spoke about faith in Christ, about righteousness, about self-control, and about the judgment to come. And Felix was afraid, and well he should have been. Because God was speaking directly to him. Marcus Antonius Felix was born a slave. He served in the household of a woman named Antonia. Whose son, Claudius, would eventually become the Roman emperor. Antonia freed uh, Felix from his slavery. And he became good friends with her son, Claudius. And when Claudius became emperor of Rome... He gave a gift to his buddy Felix. He made him governor of Judea. And during that governorship, insurrection and anarchy increased all over the province. And Felix dealt with it with, with uh, quickness and with brutality. 
He was not favored by the Jews. Felix was a self-focused, narcissistic, immoral, greedy man who had no regard for justice. He was proud, he was selfish, and he was corrupt. His sins were well known among his people, known well to everyone but himself. Even his wife, Jerusalem, his third wife, we have no idea what happened to his second wife. All, he, all we know is he took a real shine to this lady, Jerusalem, who was Jewish. She was married to another guy, a leader of another kingdom. And he worked things out behind the scenes to deceive and to take this woman as his wife. This guy was a creep. This guy was not a good person. And he was the governor that Paul had to face for his charges. When Paul came in to the audience chamber to make his defense before this guy, you would expect he'd, kick, you'd, expect he'd kiss up to this guy the way Ananias the high priest and his prosecuting lawyer Tertullus was doing. In fact, it says in Acts 24, verse 2, when Paul was called in, Tertullus, the prosecuting attorney, presented his case before Felix. Now look what he says. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you. What a bunch of baloney. There was no peace going on. There was insurrection and anarchy everywhere. And your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. It wasn't his foresight. He was crucifying people when they didn't get along with Rome. These guys are sucking up to this guy because they're afraid of him. So now in comes Paul. And you're thinking, what's he going to do? So what does he do? He starts telling Felix about Christ Jesus and the need to have faith in him. About the importance of living in righteousness. About the importance of self-control. And the reality of a judgment that is about to come. And Felix was afraid. Because you see, the gospel was convicting him of his sin. Paul didn't mince his words. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't cocky. He was forthright. Because he knew he was there to present the gospel. But rather than repent, Felix just simply says, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. Which is exactly what he did over the next two years, repeatedly bringing Paul in to listen to him. And Paul never winced. Felix always hoped Paul would give him a bribe to let him go free. Felix never got the bribe, but he did get the gospel. Felix later is called back to Rome. He's never heard from again. And he's replaced by a guy named Portius Festus, who would be the next guy to be on the platform to hear from Paul. And we're reminded through this experience that people aren't going to know they need a Savior unless they know they're dead in their sins. And if there's any mistake, in my opinion, that the church at large is making today, is that we've gotten away from calling people out to see their true need. People are dead in their sin, and they need a Savior. And we're not there to make them feel better. We're there to help them to see their need and who Jesus is and why he alone is the Savior. You see, it's sin that separates us from God. All of us have sinned and fall short of his glory. And if we stay in that sin unforgiven and we die with that sin, it'll separate us from God forever. You'll notice Paul never raises Felix's particular sins, though they were many. 
He simply preaches the gospel about faith in Christ, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And God uses the gospel to convict him. It's not our job to go running around with a laundry list of people's sins. Our role is simply to give them the good news, to tell them the truth. And the power is in the gospel. And it will be used by God to convict people of their need for sin and righteousness and the coming judgment. Felix obviously was convicted. He was afraid. But to our knowledge, he never responded. It's not ours to make Christians. It's ours to tell them the truth. We are sent to give the gospel in hopes that people will see their need and repent and turn to God. But not just that it was there to confront people with their sin, but we're called to give the gospel because it's the truth that confronts people with their ignorance. And that's especially important because ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance of God and the gospel is eternal death. Paul confronted Festus with the gospel and his ignorance of spiritual things. When we pick it up in Acts 25, Festus is new on the job. In fact, Luke tells us that when he got to the province of Caesarea and went up to Jerusalem, he'd only been on the job three days. He spends eight or ten days with the Jerusalem officials, and they fill him in on what happened with Paul, who is now back at Caesarea. And they want Festus to bring Paul back to Jerusalem for trial because they're hoping to kill him on the way, or if that fails, get him back to the Sanhedrin, the Jewish council, where they can convict him of whatever they want and then eliminate him. Festus has been on the job just about two weeks when he invites these people, no, you come back with me to Caesarea. You can press charges there. So in Acts 25, verse 6, Luke picks up the story. After, sending, after spending eight or ten days with them, Festus went down to Caesarea. Now remember, he's been in the province about two weeks at this point. The next day, he convened the court and ordered that Paul be brought before him. When Paul came in, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him. They brought many serious charges against him, but they could not prove them. Then Paul made his defense. I've done nothing wrong against the Jewish law or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and stand trial before me there on these charges? Paul answered, I'm now standing before Caesar's court where I ought to be tried. I've not done any wrong to the Jews, as, they, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I do not refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus had conferred with his counsel, he declared you have appealed to Caesar. To Caesar you will go. Portius Festus was a welcome change to Felix. He was a decent man trying to be a good ruler, but he was a bit naive, he was inexperienced, and he was clueless when it came to spiritual things. He hadn't presided over the Jews before. He wasn't married to a Jewish wife. And so he was not really familiar with Jewish ways. In fact, he was confused as to what the real issue was and why Paul was in trouble. So later on, he brings in King Agrippa, the Jewish king, who you'll learn more about later. But he was hoping that Agrippa could help him to sort this out so he'd have something he could understand and send to the emperor as the reason why he was making an appeal. When 
Festus speaks to Agrippa about what he heard Paul talking about, you can tell exactly what Paul was preaching to him. Look at Acts 25, verse 18. When his accusers got up to speak, he tells Agrippa, they didn't charge him with any of the crimes I had expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about a dead man named Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss to know how to investigate such matters. So I asked if he'd be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial there on these charges. But when, the, but when Paul made his appeal to be held over for the emperor's decision, I ordered him held until I could send him to Caesar. Portius Festus wanted to bring Paul back to Jerusalem to do a favor to the Jews. He seems to be clueless about what they were trying to do. But God's sovereignty intervened. First of all, he had Paul tried there at Caesarea, and Paul intervened using his rights as a Roman citizen that he was not going to be sent back to Jerusalem because Paul understood what was going to happen. Either he'd be killed on the way, as he had already been told, or he knew if he got back to the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem that they were going to convict him on trumped-up charges and they were going to have him executed. So he exercised his right as a Roman citizen and he made his appeal to the emperor. But Festus had no idea what to write to the emperor. I don't get it. In fact, he tells Agrippa that Paul keeps talking about this guy, Jesus. The Jews say he's dead. Paul says he's alive. I'm at a loss to even know what this means. Paul was preaching Christ in the resurrection to a man who is ignorant because Paul knew that without the truth, that ignorance would keep him from coming to Christ. It's no different for so many people. For, for all of this time, Paul is preaching the gospel to this guy, Festus. And Festus apparently doesn't believe. And two years later, he suddenly dies. And I can assure you, when Festus stood before God, God could replay the tape of what Paul had told him in that audience chamber. And that it cost him his eternity because he refused to believe it. People, there are people all around us that are ignorant. I was one of those. Can you believe I was 25 years old, living in America, and I couldn't tell you what the cross was about? I knew Jesus died on a cross, but I had no idea why, or what it meant, or what it meant to me. I knew Jesus was born at Christmas, but I had no idea why he came. And at 25 years old, I'm embarrassed to tell you that considering myself at the time a Christian, I had no idea there was even a resurrection. I had no idea that Easter had anything to do with a resurrection. I was completely ignorant. And I thank God for the people who took the time to speak the gospel into my life. To help me to understand why Jesus came and why Christmas is important. Why Jesus went to the cross to die there for my sins and why that was necessary. And how he paid my price and was put into a tomb and three days later rose again victorious, proving that everything he had preached as the way, the truth, and the life was real. I'd still be in that ignorance if no one had told me. And people, you and I have people all around us who are trapped in that ignorance. They're just like Festus. They're hearing on the fringes, but they don't have any idea what it means. And they need people like you and me to speak into their lives. And God's going to send them to us to speak into their lives. 
Festus is a good example of how ignorance blinds people to the truth and why we need to speak truth into their lives to everyone God sends. And not only did the gospel confront Felix with his sin and Festus with his ignorance, but the gospel is the truth that confronts people with their complacency, particularly their trust in religion alone. And this is important because religion doesn't save anyone. In fact, religion and being spiritual may become the biggest barriers to people being saved. Festus has Agrippa, the Jewish king, come to interview Paul in the audience hall. Festus is hoping that Agrippa, who thoroughly understands the scriptures and Jewish tradition, can try to help him to come up with something to write to the emperor as to why he's sending Paul to Rome. So Agrippa comes in with his sister Bernice. He takes his place on the platform along with, along with uh, Drusilla and along with Felix and along with the military advisors, it says, and the leading people of the city. And here stands Paul, and Agrippa is the next guy on the platform who's going to get a dose of the gospel. And it tells us in Acts 26, verse 1, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. you think at this point people would have learned, but here it comes. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa... I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they're willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it's because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I'm on trial today. This is the promise that our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it's because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? So Paul goes on to tell Agrippa about his Damascus Road experience in Acts chapter 9. How he was going as a Pharisee to arrest Christians in Damascus and bring them back for trial when Jesus appeared to him on the road. The brilliance of his glory knocked him to the ground and Jesus spoke to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul picks up the story with Agrippa in the chamber and tells him this. Then I asked him, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. Whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. The king is familiar with these things. You see, it's this point that Festus, who's sitting on the platform next to Agrippa, listening to all this, intercedes, and he says, Paul, you're insane. You're a nutcase. Your, your learning is driving you crazy. 
And Paul says, I'm not crazy. I'm telling you the truth. In fact, Agrippa knows that what I'm saying is the truth. Look at verse 30, 38. Excuse me, 26. The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. Then he turns to Agrippa and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? <laughs> I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. Marcus Julius Agrippa II was the grandson of Herod the Great, the one who was ruling over Judea at the birth of Jesus. Herod the Great is the one who built the palaces. It was Agrippa II's grandfather that built the palace that Paul was standing in in Caesarea. It was Herod the Great who sent the people to kill those innocent children in Bethlehem. Agrippa II was his grandson. And when his dad died, he was only 17. And he was considered by the Romans to be too young to rule over his father's vast domain. So they kept Judea under the rule of a Roman governor. And they gave Agrippa another petty little kingdom northeast of Judea called Chalcis. And since it was neighboring Judea, and since Festus became the new governor of Judea, then Herod Agrippa decides he's going to come down from his little kingdom to meet Festus in Caesarea at his grandfather's palace and get caught up together. So there he is in Caesarea. Festus was thrilled that he came. And he says to him, Agrippa, man, I don't get this thing. Paul's talking about a dead guy, Jesus. He's claiming he's alive. I can't make heads or tails out of it. And Agrippa says, I'd like to talk to him. And he goes, tomorrow you will. Agrippa was an expert in Jewish affairs, well acquainted with the teaching of the Jewish scriptures, which is why Festus hoped that Agrippa could shed some light on what Paul was talking about. But knowing Agrippa's familiarity with the scripture, Paul takes a different approach with him. Paul begins expounding from the prophets and the law. And he said, Agrippa, this Jesus is the fulfillment of everything you and I and our Jewish brothers have hoped for. He is the culmination of what the prophets talked about. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And if you believe the prophets, and I know you do, then you'll know that what I'm saying to you is right. And if you really believe the prophets, then you'll embrace this Jesus as I have. And if you really believe the prophets, then you'll repent of your wickedness and you will turn to God and you'll demonstrate your repentance by the way you live. And Agrippa says to him, Paul, you think you're going to make me a Christian that quick? And Paul said, man, I wish everybody in this room was just like me. Except for these chains. Paul never flinched. He took a different approach with each of these leaders, but his message never changed. It was always Christ and the resurrection. Agrippa and his sister Bernice, Drusilla and Festus, along with the military advisors and the leading people of the city, all get up and leave, knowing Paul was innocent. 
but there's no record of them ever believing. But you wonder who out of that crowd that day did. Because Paul was faithful to share the gospel. People, sometimes you and I never know who's going to believe. But they never will if they don't hear the good news. Because the good news is the power of God to convict people of their sin, to help shatter their ignorance, and to break through their complacency. Because as Agrippa learned, religion will never be enough. People can be very religious and be lost. They can be very spiritual but not have God. The truth of the matter is, hell is going to be full of religious people who trusted their religion just like Agrippa did, but who were lost because they never came to trust in Jesus Christ. So Paul preached the gospel to whomever God sent, and he left the results with God. Because you see, Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel. You remember what he said in Romans 1, verse 16? I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. You know, this week, as I've been reading through chapters 24, 25, and 26 with a whole lot more information than I can share here today, I was reminded of that moment when I was standing on those tiles where Paul stood and imagining for a moment what it would be like to have those powerful leaders there, to be on trial for your life, surrounded by people, what would I say? Well, the truth is, you and I are put in situations every day where we have an opportunity to speak. With people in our own family or people who are our neighbors, people we work with, people we meet in restaurants or stores, people whom God sends into our life, sometimes in ordinary and sometimes extraordinary ways. And I'm wondering at times if we might be ashamed of the gospel. Or if there are times, if I'm being totally transparent, where I'm more concerned about what people are going to think than about what God might want to say. The truth of the matter is this. I don't want anybody to ever stand before God and be able to say, you know, I knew that guy Larry well. He never told me about Jesus. Felix, Festus, and Agrippa had to stand before God. And every one of them would be able to say, you know, Paul told us. But we didn't believe. We can't save anybody. God is sending us to share the good news so they can believe. The power is in the gospel. That's the gospel Paul would now be sent to Rome to proclaim at the seat of the Roman Empire. And he would be faithful all along the way to his last breath. You and I have been called to do the same. The gospel he preached is the one we're remembering today in communion. It was the same Luke who reminded us that that night Jesus took bread and broke it and said, 
This bread is my body. It's given for you. And then he took the cup and passed it amongst his disciples and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's given for you. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, remember me. The one who is the Savior, who saves from sin, who shatters ignorance, and who brings people into relationship with himself. I'm sending you, and I'm sending people to you that they might hear who I am. Father, thank you for this reminder today. We are no different than Paul. We, we may have a different place to be sent. We may have different people to talk to, but the message is the same. And God, we just need to simply, lovingly, faithfully share with people the good news and trust that you will use that however you choose, for the power is in the gospel. Power is in your hands. And as we come to this table today, we're reminded that Jesus, you came to save us through this sacrifice, through your broken body and shed blood. We have been saved. As we eat this bread and drink this cup today, may you be honored by our remembrance. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.